Lord, open my lips that my mouth may proclaim your praise. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Well, we're still in that wonderful book of the Acts of the Apostles, the Acts of the Holy Spirit entering into the disciples at Pentecost and then filling them with power to go out and to spread the gospel from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. I get so excited about Acts because we're the continuation of that story in Acts. Uh, The Holy Spirit is still working in the church to extend that good news to the ends of the earth. Last week, uh, we saw how that good news was extended out into Africa by Philip the deacon proclaiming the good news, opening up the scripture of Isaiah, uh, proclaiming that that whom the eunuch was, about whom the eunuch was reading in that uh, passage in Isaiah 53 was indeed the anointed one, the Messiah Jesus. And he returns to Ethiopia and in accord with the tradition of the Ethiopian church, he founded the church there. So the gospels already moved into Africa Uh, but now we come to chapter 10 and the the gospel continues to move if you remember that there was a persecution that arose after the martyrdom of Stephen and so people had to leave Jerusalem who knows but if they'd stayed in Jerusalem whether or not it would have spread like it did but they had to leave Uh, They had to get out of Dodge, as it were, and so they went, they scattered in various places. So Philip had gone out to Samaria and then went on the Gaza Road and then ended up on the coast. Well, Peter, at this point in time, is in Joppa. He's been in Lydda. He has raised uh, Tabitha from the dead. She had, uh, she was one uh, disciple who did a lot of needlework, who who made things for the saints in the church, whether or not it was vestments or clothing. Uh, but she was well known for her gifts into the church, and he'd he'd gone and she'd been healed. So. He's in Joppa, which has kind of now been incorporated into modern-day Tel Aviv. And to north of that, about 32 miles, is Caesarea Maritima, now a Roman ruin, Roman remains. So it's about two and a half hours by car and a little over 11 hours by foot. And we've got two people here. We've got Peter, who's now in Joppa. Uh, staying at the house of Simon the Tanner. And we have Cornelius in Caesarea Maritima. Uh, Cornelius is a centurion, which means he's a man of quite some authority. He has a 100 soldiers under his command. It's a Roman outpost. It's, uh, it's a garrison town. And so um, he is, he's, a, he's a big person in that community. And yet we hear about him in Acts of the Apostles that he was a devout man who feared God with all his household. He gave alms generously to the people and prayed constantly. So a Gentile, a Roman conqueror who has come somehow or other to faith in Israel's God. 
Now, he's not Jewish, he's Roman and a Gentile. But he fears God, the God of Israel, Yahweh, and he's brought all of his household into belief in this one God also. Not only that, but he gives generously alms to the poor. Uh, That's not just his own household, his own people, but also to all of the Jews in the community. And he also prays constantly. He's a man of faith, of prayer, of almsgiving. So already a believer in Israel's God. So he's up here in Caesarea Maritima and Peter's down here in Joppa. And Cornelius receives a vision, a word from an angel of the Lord who says, Cornelius, your prayers and alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And the angel instructs him to go and send people to go and fetch Peter, Simon Peter, at Simon the Tanner's house in Joppa. So he does. He just, without further ado, he sends people off to find Simon Peter. Whether or not he knew or heard about Simon Peter, he just does what the angel of the Lord tells him. Meanwhile, back in Joppa, um, so this happens to Cornelius around 3 o'clock in the afternoon, day one. Day two, the next day, around noon, Peter has been praying in the morning, praying for a fair amount of time, uh, what we can gather, and he gets hungry, so it's around noon. Meanwhile, uh, Luke, writing Acts, says, and the people from Cornelius are really close to the city. Don't you love the detail in this? Oh, we've got the story. We've got all of the contours of this story right here because there's little detail as well. So Peter's been praying. He gets hungry. Evidently, he's asked somebody in the house to get him some food because then we hear while they're preparing the food, he goes up onto the rooftop and then he falls into a trance and he receives this really strange vision because he sees descending. He's thinking maybe, you know, it's my grumbly stomach, but he sees descending this huge cloth with all kinds of animals on it, with cloven feet and birds and reptiles and all kinds of things that according to Jewish Levitical law, he should not kill or eat. They're forbidden to eat these things. And as this sheet is lowered in front of him, he hears the voice say, get up, Peter, kill and eat. And he says, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is profane or unclean. You know, maybe thinking it's a test from God, he's hungry, you know, he's got to wait, there's food coming. What is this all about? And it happens three times. And God says to him, what God has made clean, you must not call unclean or profane. And he's puzzling about this. What on earth does this mean? Can I now eat these things? Are the Levitical laws on food no more? 
What does it mean? So he's puzzling about it, and there's a rat-tat-tat on the door right then, and the people from Cornelius' household are at the door. And they come and they say, and so Peter's you know, there, and he says, uh, so, well, we've been told by our master to come and get you. Okay. So Peter and some of the Jewish believers go on their way another 11 hours back up to Caesarea Maritima and he gets to Cornelius' household and says, yes, and uh, what do you need? And he says, well, I just called for you because the Lord told me to call for you and, um, and why don't you tell us what you have to tell us? All of a sudden, the light goes on for Peter Okay, that vision wasn't about food. It was about being clean. Because Gentiles were seen as unclean. And Jews were seen as being clean. And so all of a sudden, he's been invited in to a Roman Gentile's house to share the good news of Jesus And the light goes on and he says, oh, now I see. God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. That's what it means. No partiality. In other words, There are no socioeconomic barriers. There are no gender barriers. There are no racial barriers. There are no cultural barriers. There are no age barriers. There are no barriers. There is no partiality in God. The gospel is for all people. All people. And then he goes on to share the good news of Jesus. Now, some of you might be familiar. Some preachers have three-point sermons. Uh, Right here, Peter has a seven-point sermon, uh, but it's not too long, so he doesn't elaborate too terribly much, at least not that we know of. First of all, he says that God sent the message of peace through Jesus. No partiality, but the message is a message of peace. In other words, there was a noise going around that Messiah would come with an army to revolt against the Romans. And he's talking to a Roman centurion and his Gentile household and he's saying, this Messiah did not come with armed revolt in mind. He came to bring peace. His messiahship would usher in a kingdom of peace and not violence. Point one. Point two. God anointed him with the spirit and power. We see that. We remember that. John the Baptist at the Jordan. Jesus comes and asked to be baptized by John. And as he comes up out of the water, the heavens opened and a dove descends on Jesus, and a voice says, This is my beloved, my son, in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And for, the Jew, for any Jews in, the, in that gathering, in the congregation, they would hear anointed. 
and know the Old Testament scriptures that kings were anointed by God to be kings. They only became kings because they were anointed by prophets sent by God for the anointing. So he is anointed. He's anointed with the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit, and with power. Message of peace, anointed with the Spirit and with power. God was with him. God was with him and in him. He is God with power. God was with him. Part of who he is is divine. And it was that power, through that power, that he taught And through that power that he healed. And Peter says as an aside, and if you want to know if that's true, I I saw it. I saw it with my own eyes. I'm a first-hand witness. I heard all that he said. I saw people being healed. I can tell you this is true what I'm telling you because I was a witness to it. Peace. The gospel of peace. He was anointed with the Spirit and with power. God was with him. He was put to death by being hung on a tree. He was crucified. But God raised him from the dead on the third day. Kind of the middle of his points right there. Peace, power, death. You see the two go together. For a crucified prophet Messiah, just stays a dead crucified prophet Messiah without an empty tomb on the third day. Because the empty tomb on the third day means he's overcome death. It means that God's promises have been made true. So the crucifixion and the resurrection are intimately entwined. You can't have one without the other. The death means what it means for us because he was raised on the third day. And with that rising, new life comes into being. Not a spiritual body in the sense that it is a ghostly body, but a spiritual body in the sense that it is imbued with a new life of the spirit because it's a body that's physical, that can be touched, You can put your hands in the wounds in the hand, in his hands, in his side. It's a physical body that eats, that speaks. But it's a spiritual physical body because it's not constrained by our time or dimension. A new body, the first fruits, the kind of body we'll get. Message of peace, anointed by God. With power, God himself with him, died and rose again. And he says, and he chose certain people who were with him from the beginning of his ministry all the way through to his resurrection and then ascension to share these things. We were with him when he rose from the dead. We again were witnesses, not just 
before his crucifixion of his teaching and his healing, but afterwards of new life. We saw it. We can tell you it's true because we saw it. And he said, and then he commanded us to witness, to preach to all people that at the end of the age, he will return to judge all people. He comes with a message of peace. He's anointed with the Spirit and with power. God himself is in him and works through him. He died and rose again. We're witnesses to that. And he will come again. And then he ends with this. And everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. He's got it. The sheet coming down. Don't call unclean what I call clean, says God. I make things clean through this death and resurrection. I make people clean by the forgiveness of their sins. N.T. Wright puts it this way. He says, it's as if Peter says to Cornelius, the God whom you have worshipped from afar has done all this as part of his global plan to set everything right at last. And at every stage, Jesus is in the middle of it. God has fulfilled the purposes for which he called Israel in the first place to be a blessing to all of the nations. And you, Cornelius, and everyone everywhere who believes this message will receive a welcome at once, without more ado, into the family whose home has written in shining letters above the door the wonderful word, Forgiven. We're called home to a place called forgiven. We're called into a place where we are forgiven. Forgiveness of sins. We live in a culture that doesn't want to acknowledge that we sin. If we don't acknowledge that we sin, we have no need of a Savior to save us from our sins. But Paul says, everyone has sinned. Everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. If we say we have no sin, the truth is not in us and we lie. We have all sinned and we all need to be made clean. And God shows no partiality. None at all. And he comes and invites us into this home called forgiven, made clean. What happens is Peter is in the middle of this sermon. 
He hasn't finished it. He hasn't done an altar call. He hasn't asked people to say whether or not they believe. He's still talking and the Holy Spirit falls on Cornelius and the whole household and all of a sudden they erupt in praising God, speaking in tongues. And the Jews who've come with Peter are gobsmacked. What just happened? The Holy Spirit goes where the Holy Spirit wants to go. It's like a wind. You don't know where it goes or where it comes. If the Holy Spirit wants to fall on Cornelius' household and himself, it will do so. If the Holy Spirit wants to come and fall in mighty power on us, he will do so. And they're all going, well, wait a minute, that happened to us. That happened to us on the day of Pentecost. You mean the Gentiles are part of this now? They truly are part of this. This is important. This is a really important passage because five chapters later, they need a council, the first council of the church, the Jerusalem council, because people have gone around called the Judaizers who've gone around after Paul's been preaching in all of these places in Asia Minor and everywhere else. And they're going around saying, you have to become a Jew before you can become a Christian. You have to be circumcised if you're male and you have to adhere to the food laws. And so Paul's going, that's not the gospel I've been preaching. I've been preaching the gospel of peace. It's all of the leadership needs to get together and sort this thing out once and for all. So they meet in Jerusalem. And Peter says, well, remember what happened to Cornelius' household? Because he'd taken some heat for that. He went back and he said, this is what happened. And they're going, well, why would you allow that to happen? He said, it's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit fell on them. What was I going to do? And so he says at the council, God did that. There's no partiality. There's no Jew or Gentile. It's all grace. They're the grafted in branch. See, if that hadn't happened, we'd all need to be Jews before we became Christians if we hadn't had the Jerusalem council. But they said, no, this is all grace. We're part of Israel. We're part of the chosen people because we're grafted in. We're the grafted in branch because we're in Christ, who is Israel, who's the Israel of one. And so Peter's kind of looking around. They're all praising God. They're speaking in tongues, just the same as happened to them in the upper room on Pentecost. And he's going, okay, well, let's baptize them. So right then and then, they're baptized. Now, we don't take that as paradigmatic for what happens. Sometimes people profess faith. Sometimes they're baptized. But the Holy Spirit always comes in. Sometimes the Holy Spirit comes first. No, the Holy Spirit does. God does what he wants to do. We can't try and make it go in an order because God does what God wants to do. And so from now on, we understand that it's by grace that we're incorporated into the body of Christ. 
John, in his first epistle that we had read this morning, reiterates what the Jerusalem Council later would understand. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Nothing else is needed. Nothing else is needed. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And he goes on to say, whatever is born of God conquers the world, conquers all of the darkness of the world. And the one, he says, who conquers the world is the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God and he came by water and blood. Not by water alone, he says, just to make sure that we've got it. By water and blood. In other words, he is not just man. He is man-God. He is God-man. He is both at the same time. This Jesus is both human and divine. And you remember that blood and water issued forth from his side when the centurion's spear went into it on the cross. See, all other kings win victories by fighting. This king won the victory over the world, over the forces of evil, over the Satan by suffering. All other gods, small g, all the other gods of all the other religions exercise power by killing. This one by dying. And it's through his death that we are conquerors. We're incorporated into that conquering life. Paul says we are more than conquerors through him who saved us. The world is conquered Because Jesus conquered the ruler of this world, the enemy of our souls, Satan, we are two conquerors in him. And in this death, love is revealed. Jesus says in John's Gospel, no one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. See, this death means life, and it means love. No one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. He says, you are my friends. We are his friends. You are Jesus' friend. Jesus is your friend. You are the one Jesus loves. You are the one Jesus loves. I say it again. Let it go in. You are his friend. You are the one Jesus loves. And he says, this is the commandment that I leave to you. That you love one another as I have loved you. That is our only commandment. And it's how we abide. It's how we abide in his love. Is to love one another. 
Is there someone you know who needs to hear? Jesus is your friend. He calls you friend, not servant. He calls you friend. Do you know someone who needs to hear deep within themselves that they are the one Jesus loves? Then be that friend. Follow his commandment. Share his love. Amen.